Okay, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. Today we come to the moment of promotion. So today is a, today's alliteration is the pathway to promotion. Um, if you know anything about the story of Joseph, you know that for the last 13 years, this poor young guy, he's 30 years old. Anyone here 30 or thereabouts? A few of you, yes. Well, I'm 33, so I identify. He has had an absolute battering so far. Poor guy. When you look at his life, he has been, well, he's had just about everything happen to this guy. He has been so faithful to God, and yet he's had a real battering. And yet what we're going to suddenly find is, near the end of the passage today, is suddenly the music goes from minor to major. It goes from bitter to sweet. Suddenly, this young man who's been so godly is beautifully vindicated. And we're going we're gonna to look at that moment of promotion. And I want to draw out lots of parallels between Joseph and us as a church. I believe there's a lot of prophetic parallels. I believe there's lots of parallels for some of you actually individually here as well. You'll go, oh, that's a bit like me. So we're going to learn lots. But my main point really is that the that promotion itself, as wonderful a privilege as it is, it needs to be thought through. And in many ways, it could be argued that it's the biggest and most tricky test that God will ever give a man or a woman. Actually, when things are difficult and, and testing, in an obvious sense, it's, it's, more, it's sort of easier to cry out to God because you're needing him. But when things are good and comfortable, and actually, as we're going to see, with Joseph, suddenly the, he has wealth beyond his imagination and he has power and influence and friends and all that stuff. That's the moment when so often we can actually forget our God. So I want to look at this with a soberness to say, Lord, what can we learn from this? So let's read them from verse 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke and he fell asleep and he dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And then the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offences today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. And then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there was no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that you can hear a dream and you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Okay, so there's three steps on the pathway to promotion. Step number one we've just looked at, and I've called it here the step of preparation. Okay, the step of preparation. Now, as I've already said, Joseph actually had 13 years of it. 
It's 13 years since age 17. He had those dreams. We heard about those a few weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah. And all those 13 years, year after year after year, they have not been meaningless. They have not been just aimless years wandering along. They have been full of purpose. And yet, it would be so easy to look at those years if you were alongside Joseph as just random nightmare years. Just forget those years, Joseph, and move on to the better times. But what the Bible says is this. Just as with Joseph, if anyone here calls himself a Christian, so God is a God who prepares us for the days ahead. They haven't been random days. They've been days actually full of incredible purpose. You see, at the beginning of verse 1, it says, after two whole years. Moses wants us to realize that we know that waiting is one of the most difficult challenges anyone Whatever face. Just nod if you in any way identify. Yes, we all do. We get annoyed if the person in front of us is crawling along or if our broadband is too slow or whatever it might be. We get, you know, we think we're patient if we've waited 30 seconds for something. This guy has waited years and years. And the amazing thing is, is that nevertheless, when God finally gives Pharaoh the dream and calls the cupbearer to remember him and he is summoned, did you notice his response? He didn't say, oh yeah, I used to dream. I remember those dreams. I, used to, I once had a dream, but look where those dreams got me, Mr. Pharaoh. Forget dreams, forget God. He's just a, you know, he doesn't even exist or he's, he's nasty if he does exist. You know, he could have easily grown hugely bitter. I'll be honest and tell you that if I'd had even one of those tests, I mean, think about it. His brothers have rejected him. They've lobbed him in a pit. Then he's become a slave. And then his boss's wife has tried it on with him. He's done brilliantly well in resisting that nightmare temptation. How does he get rewarded? Thrown into prison. He's then in prison and he wonderfully interprets the dreams. How does he get rewarded? Forgotten about. He gets forgotten about. Even one of those occurrences could easily lead a normal person to actually, to be honest with you, grow bitter towards God. And we have to humbly say at the start of this time, Lord, is there anything in me? Are there things that have happened to me that I've just thought they just happened and they're random things? Or, or if you've allowed it, God, you're obviously, you know, if we're honest, not very nice. I don't know if I can trust you. And yet somehow Joseph here, I don't understand how, but somehow he has interpreted these difficult trials that he's been through and kept his heart beautifully pure because as we see what comes out he doesn't say to Pharaoh oh I used to dream but you know forget being a dreamer he says no I'm still open to this whole thing of dreams he's gonna as you see get himself ready physically we're gonna look at that in a moment he responds well we have to ask ourselves how did he do this how was he someone who when everything actually would have been constraining him to come to a negative conclusion of God because life was difficult. How was it that he looked at this difficult season and he endured year after year of difficulty so well? And I think the fundamental thing that had, by grace, he'd come through on was this, the issue of control. The issue of control. You see, we so often, I think, if, and then think, maybe it's just me, I, I don't think that's, it's just me, but I think if we're honest, we often think we can control life. We think we can control what's going to happen tomorrow. Now, I know we, the Bible says self-control, I understand that. We have control by the Spirit over our own emotions and our own internal dimensions. But let's just be honest, you can't control what's going to happen to you. You can't. You don't know, let's be honest, whether you're going to live to the end of this meeting. Ha! No, I'm just being serious. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't. God's in control. 
Now, this sounds like a fundamental, you know, you know, very basic point. You might be saying, Tom, you know, TGR's over there. You know, we're adults here. But actually, the lesson that he learned, that Lord, in this moment of pressure and difficulty, I am not in control, but you are in control. I believe was the secret for him so that when suddenly he was summoned and the test came to an end, he did so outstandingly well. Control, you see, manifests itself, particularly when it comes to the issues of timing. Timing is huge. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Galatians 4.4 says, at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. You see, there is a timing in God that is so often not a timing that we are used to. We have to feel the weight. This is a massive thing. Many of you here are relatively young. And actually, particularly if you're younger, you, we have to learn this again and again, that so often, the t- I mean, even that word about endurance that, that, that Lou uh, brought earlier, I wanted to get up and go, amen. It is throughout the scriptures. God so often tests us simply through letting things go on again and again and again. And so we, God wants us to be a people who learn that I'm not in control. In those times where you think, I just want this to hurry up and I want to take control and make things happen. I love it in verse 14 of the previous chapter. He says, says, this is Joseph, once he's done the cupbearer's dream. He says, hey, listen, only remember me when it's well with you. Don't forget me, he's what he said. Now, that's a very human response. He's saying, listen, when you get out of jail in three days, just remember who prophesied it. All right? We would all be tempted to do that. I don't think it's a sinful thing, but it's a little bit of an example of him trying to control the timing of it. God knew I'm going to leave you in there for another two years. But actually, he was just trying to kind of, you know, can I just try and slightly control this? Can I speed things up? I met a, a few years ago with a good friend of mine um, who was a young emerging worship leader. And he was just like, yeah, I just thought I'd uh, just let you know that I'm, uh, I'm quite a good worship leader. And, uh, you know, if you ever need anyone just to help you with the big conferences and things, you know, just, just let you know that I'm, uh, I'm available. And bless him, it wasn't uh, this awful thing. But he was trying to shortcut, actually, and slightly control, and if, if honest, manipulate things that actually, ultimately, in God, have occurred. But there was a, a, a kind of speeding up in his own attempts. And God wants us in those moments where we feel, in those, those kind of prison moments, you might be single and think, oh, I just want a husband or a wife. Or you might, be, you might be married and you think, I just want a child. Or you might be renting and you think, I just want to own a house. Or it might be that you're in a rubbish job and you think, I just want a better job. The list, no matter where you are, there's always something that potentially will make us feel a little like this. And the key, therefore, is to know, Lord, ultimately, I can't control it. I, ultimately, I give it to you. I'm not in control. 1 Peter says, humble yourselves. So that then, under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in the right time. We do that. We continuously say, Lord, I'm not going to try and control everything around me. I'm going to allow you to be God. And that's the key that he has got here. I'm not in control. But secondly, you are in control. You see, I love this. Did Joseph have anything to do with the dream that Pharaoh had? Nothing. He couldn't control the dream. He was just in there having another dungeon day, God's forgotten me day, which most of us would think he's in there. And God decides, okay, end of the dungeon days. It's time for me to give Pharaoh a dream. Did Joseph have anything to do with the cupbearer suddenly remembering him all of a sudden, mysteriously? No. God 
reminded the cupbearer. Now get hold of this, friends. This is massive. This liberates you. Think about your life right now. Okay, many of us, if not most of us, will have something a bit like this. That thing that we're, oh, I just want the next thing. And this is the thing, it's not wrong to want it. But God says, first of all, know that those preparation times are about you and me learning. We can't control it. We can't control it. And actually learning that God's in control. God can, in an instant, suddenly sell that house that you're trying to sell. He can suddenly do that. Just as he suddenly gave Pharaoh a dream and suddenly gave the cupbearer his memory back, he can suddenly sell that house and give you a house exactly the one that you want. Or he can, I don't know, suddenly break through with that child that's a moment is wayward. He can do that in an instant and his timing is perfect. He can suddenly break in with your housemates that you've been thinking, oh, I've been trying to bring God into things and oh, they just, oh, they don't want to hear. God can do that. And this is about a releasing surrender that God calls us into. He says, listen, it's always been the way. I've always been a God who lovingly wants to lift your gaze and stop you thrashing around and trying to make things happen and actually surrender into the truth that you're not in control ultimately. And actually, I am in control. And that's, that's a big issue, isn't it? Trust. Are we trusting God? That's huge. Come on, let's be honest. If we really trust that God... Lord, you're saying that I don't need to kind of, you know, make sure my, my boss sees everything I do? Well, no, don't let that be your confidence for promotion. Actually, let your baseline confidence be that God is sees. God's in control. It's wonderful. There's so many parallels here with us as a church. It's, it's amazing. Several years ago, um, I remember the haunting feedback that someone gave me that Colin Carmichael, he's the chief exec of Canterbury Council, someone had mentioned to him City Church, and we'd been here about 18 years at that point, and he went, City Church? Who, who, who are they? And I was like, he had no idea about who we were, no idea that we were a church that wanted to be involved in this city, and it broke my heart. And it's a bit like Pharaoh having no idea about Joseph, and then suddenly, a year ago, God puts on the heart of a councillor called James Flanagan, who happens to chair the council meetings. Oh, why don't we get that city church and to come and talk about who they are? And so I get invited, we get invited, I represent us and talk about what we do in the council and they're all listening away. And as I've mentioned many times, I don't want to bore you, since that moment, we have had so much increasing favour with them simply by communicating with them our heart for the city, that we want to bless the city. We don't want to be uh, a little bomb shelter church that has no connections with the city we want to be involved and I've mentioned to you Philippe uh, my friend um, who's the city manager who's a Buddhist but he loves the church he loves what's going on he has taken it upon himself to uh, to find us a building as I've mentioned many times and he's just he's the most he's like the most passionate member of this church who's not in the church he's just you know he's just amazing and that's all because ultimately God suddenly said now is the time do you see that it's exactly the same. We didn't try and we'd like to present, please. No, no, they said, come. It's God's amazing timing. And so we think, well, Lord, if that happened there, what's going to happen this week? Lord, you could do anything in my workplace or with my friends. Suddenly, God, you can plant dreams and open doors and do it. It's stunning. It just lifts our gaze from just a normal humdrum life. Oh, I just work there. Hey, listen, you're probably not in a dungeon. You're probably not in a prison. Well, you probably won't be here. So if God can take a man from that to prime minister in a matter of minutes, believe me, God can do the same for you. Amen? Amen. He really can. You don't need to make it happen. 
just that text I told you about from Terry. I'd just been thinking, oh, I'd love to, I want to read lots of his books and listen to him. And suddenly he texts me, I don't really know Terry Virgo. And he says, do you want to come? That's the same kind of thing. It's God opening something up. I think about the fact that we've gone to multiple services. The idea for that was in the prison of my brain about a year ago. I wasn't thinking about multiple services, anything but. I go along to a day conference and Steve Tibbet, another guy, talk about it. I go, oh my, this is what the Lord is saying. And God summons that idea from the dungeon and propels it into reality. It's a bit like even with, this, with, with the thing with Whitstable and potentially being a, a congregation part of us. That certainly was not my idea. We were just meeting many months ago now, me and Graham Hall and the leaders there, thinking, what do we do? And it was Graham's idea. He said, I have an idea that they would benefit from a bit of a rest and say they could come along and be part of City Church for a while and be encouraged and you would bless them and they would bless you. I was like, that's a good idea. And then Keith Hazel, as I've already said, he prophesies that actually God wants to make us a church with multiple congregations. So we're thinking, Lord, is this, are you joining the dots? I don't know. But the thrilling thing is, it's not something that we've birthed. It's not Tom's idea or Tim's good strategy. If it is of God, it's a God thing. Hallelujah. And that's the way that we should always be. Are people who have faith and trust that God leads up. Paul, the apostle throughout the New Testament, he was always saying, oh, I'm planning on going here, but the Holy Spirit stopped me. He's in control. He leads. He directs. So just think right now for a second, whatever that thing is in your life where you think, oh, I mean, I feel in that area a bit like this. And just in your heart, say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to say, Lord, just as you got him out of a prison in a second and your timing was perfect. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Believe me, it thrills his heart. When I know days in Lily, they trust me. Doesn't get any better than that. As a parent, to know your kids trust you, believe me, it pleases his, his heart. So the first point then is, is about preparation. But then we see the next stage, which I've called the prelude of probing. What on earth am I talking about? I hear you say, bear with me. Verse 14, actually no, verse 17. God, uh, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. And then he recounts the dream again. We'll just move to verse 25. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. And the dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It's as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. The plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be that severe. And the doubling of, Pharaoh, of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God, and God will surely bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over the land of Egypt, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers of the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities. And let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish throughout the famine. So suddenly... He moves into the next step of the path of promotion. What I've called this, 
this prelude, this, this beginnings of promotion, this prelude of probing, which is a slightly funny word, but actually I think it's what's happening. He is being probed and, and sort of, you know, inquired of by the most powerful man in the world. Okay, Pharaoh was the leader of Egypt, and Egypt uh, had a kind of world dominion for 1,300 years, which is more than the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire combined. It's a big deal when he says, I want to see you. So he has summoned him. And, and what we have to understand is this, is many of you here today, and listen to this, this is going to happen to you, not literally with Pharaoh, but you are going to be called suddenly out of your dungeon, and you will be called by God into those moments of probing that God allows, where you are suddenly called to actually represent God in some way in those situations. Joseph would have had no idea on this day that suddenly this was going to be a time of real probing. And yet God, God knew that. So even now, realize that this, hap- this can happen very quickly. Again, as I, I mentioned in that Keith Hazel prophecy, God spoke through him to say, it won't be always about having 40 years of getting ready for things. Be ready to be on the move. And that's a word for us as a congregation, as a family, that we're to be ready in your lecture theatres, with your neighbours, in the workplaces, wherever it is that God's positioned you to be ready. Lord, is this going to be a time when you suddenly open up? It says, doesn't it, in Colossians, be ready to have an answer, to, uh, to defend yourself, as it were, as Christians. Be ready to explain what it is that you believe. And we see here a couple of very helpful tips, as it were, that we can draw from Joseph so that when we're in those moments of probing, we do well. And they're not complicated, but they're powerful. The first of them is he was wise. Say wise. Wise. He had a shave and he put on some fresh togs. All right. He actually thought to himself, you know, I know I'm, a, I know I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm also physical. Now, as Christians, we can sometimes be Gnostic. And what I mean by that is we're super spiritual. And we can all, almost think, actually, the physical is just irrelevant. You know, it's all about the spirit. But actually, he understands that God has made us physical beings. And therefore, we are called to have that in our thinking as we live our lives, as ambassadors for him. Do you understand that? That how we present ourselves physically actually matters. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I become all things to all people so that I may win some to Christ. You know, if he was Jews, he would present himself differently. If he was with Gentiles, he'd present himself differently. He was actually sensitive to the audience and the people that God was bringing his way so that there weren't unnecessary stumbling blocks, things that were not that big a deal but can put people off from actually hearing the real truth. That's why as a church we are passionate actually about making Sundays and the whole of church, but particularly Sundays, practically, physically, as accessible for people who are not used to church as possible. That's why we put lots of work into things like presenting things uh, in ways that people can, uh, can access and understand. By we have clear signage so they know where the loos are and they know what TGR is. Oh, it's kids work in the black hole. What's that? You know? And actually we have coffee and tea in real mugs so that, you know, it's actually normal. And actually coffee that's reasonably strong. And we actually have, uh, that's an important one, and we have papers so that if you're on your own, you can just, you know, not feel like a wally and you can do something. Thinking practically, we have a kid t- TV for the kids so that parents can actually, oh, have a breather for a few seconds before I meet God. So it's those kind of practical things that actually as a church, we hold dear. Proverbs 20 or 21, it says, it says that the war horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. 
God ultimately brings his victory, but there is a preparation in all of life. You know, if you're a student, let me be honest with you. If you've got exams, revise. All right, I don't think the Lord will grant me the answers. He might, but I just wouldn't take that, you know. I would assume that he wants you to physically be prepared. He realised that Pharaoh probably would have been expecting him to turn up smelly, stinky, been in prison for years, and actually he turned up looking sharp and already onto a winner. You know, that's important for us, those kind of things. And so even as we have been liaising with the council, we try to think, how, how can we help them to understand? You know, when we went to the presentation, try to get PowerPoint slides that communicate we're about people. You know, we care about people. And those kind of physical things are hugely important. In those moments where God gives a probing, as it were, a testing, and puts a bit of pressure on you, think about those practical but important things. But also verbally, look at the language he uses. It's clear, it's bold, as we're going to mention in a moment, but it is accessible. And again, this is an important thing for us, that we are a church that actually in every way we can, we help people to understand even verbally, linguistically, what it is to be a follower of Christ. There are some long words you just can't get around, like redemption, justification. You have to just help people to understand it. But actually thinking creatively so that people can understand oh okay you're about this and this so for example one of the ways we've expressed our desire with the building is not we just want a really brilliant place for Sundays and worship no no what we actually say well it's a community center it's a community space with flexibility for worship do you see that that makes a big difference for someone who's not in your community and thinking are you just going to be about yourselves the way that you take care over how you express things is important. And we learn this from him. So he's wise. He shaves. He gets clean clothes on. I will leave you to join the dots in your own situations as to how you can apply that. But the other thing is the other side of the coin. He is wise and he shaves and everything else. But he is so bold. Just say bold. Bold. I love the word bold. It's great, isn't it? It's just, you know, he's bold. He's bold, first of all, in terms of the way that he unashamedly uses the name God. Do you notice that? He says, I can't do this, but God can. And again and again and again in this chapter, you see him, God will do this. God revealed it. God said this. Just bear in mind, okay, Pharaoh was regarded as God. Leader of the most important empire that's ever existed. Everyone thought he was God. And he comes in, a slave boy almost, before him. And he, the first thing he says to him is effectively the real God, the real God will give you a favourable answer. If that isn't bold, I do not know what is. Okay, it's like going to David Cameron and he says, what do you think about this thing? And you say, well, actually, the real prime minister, God, will give us the solution. It's bold. It's effectively a bit like the difference between saying God and Jesus. Yeah? It's harder to say Jesus, isn't it? There's something about Jesus that's so specific. And you know, the interesting thing in the Hebrew is, Every time that Joseph says the word God, he includes the definite article, effectively the God, he's saying in Hebrew, the God, the God, the God. Every time that Pharaoh says it, he leaves it out. You can't see the difference in English. But in the Hebrew, I'm told from the commentators that actually he's just like God in a general sense. And the challenge here is like, young Joseph won't let him get off. No, no, Jesus. He's like, no, Jesus. He's like, ah. And he's got that boldness in his language that, think about it. You're before the most powerful man in the world who's regarded as God. And you're like, the real God. 
I love his heart. He's so bold. It's magnificent. It's like Jesus. Jesus was like this. You see again and again, he says things. You think, Jesus, you can't say that. And he just does. He just does. He just says it. And people are like, that's why they ultimately killed him because of his boldness. But he just knew he was bold in his language. And the reason he was bold in his language was because he didn't care. Now, when I say that, I don't mean he didn't care in the wrong way, but I mean, he'd, I believe the approval thing, having people accept me, which we all struggle with. I think in his years in prison, that's one of the big things God has been nailing. And so he just lived for God. There's no one else in there to talk to. Just talk to God. And he was close to the father. So when he came out, he thought, do you know what? Yeah, you're the most powerful man that's ever lived. But ultimately, I know someone who's standing behind you, metaphorically, who's a lot bigger and stronger. It's called God. Every boss is only momentary. Colonel Gaddafi can go in an instant. Mubarak, leader of Egypt, can go in an instant. Romans 13, 2 says this. There is no government or institution of authority. None. None that exists outside of God's putting it there. Do you understand that? That is amazing that Christ had that in his heart. Joseph had in his heart. He was wise. He was sensitive. He got shaved and everything. But then when he was there, he was just so bold. Who here wants that? I want that. The only way we get that is through that devotion to God, knowing the Father stands behind every person of influence. Secondly, though, he was also bold regarding the future. You see, if it was me, I would have been tempted to say, oh, your dream means that there's going to be seven years of loads of, of plenty and seven years of famine. You know, I would have kind of softened a little bit. But he just says it how he is. Young guy facing this guy. Seven years of plenty, but there's seven years of horrific worldwide famine. He is bold about the future. This moment of pressure and probing, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't just soften it and sugarcoat it. And as Christians, we have to have this in our hearts. As difficult as it can be, we have to be those that we are saying, you know, when it comes to why do we think this recession's happened? Is it just the evil bankers? Well, maybe they're not great. But do you know what? The reality is we're all kind of to blame. If we're all living beyond our means, if we're all ultimately greedy, if we're all ultimately buy, 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 rather than save, save and give away, ultimately... It's not one person or a group of people. It's actually the human heart of sinfulness. And as we communicate that, it won't be very popular. It's not surprisingly, because we're saying we can't just make a scapegoat. There is a human condition that leads to this, this, this thing of boom, bust, boom, bust all the time. It's called greed. It's called sinfulness. And that's being honest about the diagnosis of things is so key. I, uh, I heard a story about Bill Hybels, who leads a huge church in Chicago, who was invited before the president of America, the previous one, George W. Bush, and um, him and a few other pastors, and they had the morning together and they talked various things. And at the end of it, George W. said, um, has it been a good morning together? And they all said, oh, yes, wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting us. Until he got to Bill, and he said, honestly, President, it's been a waste of time, in my humble opinion. We haven't talked about any of the real issues, any of the real things that have caused the situations and the difficulties. I, I have to be honest with you, I don't think we've at all touched upon any of the real issues. And George W. Bush looked at him and said, thank you. I'd like you to be my special advisor. Isn't that amazing? He actually, not, he didn't smack him over the head or got him, you know, deported or something. He actually knew that, particularly if you're a person in influence, you just get surrounded by people who just go, oh, you're amazing. And actually, when God positions you, it's not that you're being cocky or being arrogant, but there is that sense in which we are called to call a spade a spade. And actually be honest about things, even when it hurts, <coughs> to quote Martin last week. But thirdly, 
we also see he's bold about <coughs> his response. Not just the words, calling God, God. Not just in terms of the future, but his response he is bold about. Look at this. He says, in effect, yes, God is going to do this thing. Years of plenty, years of famine. And often as Christians, we can think, well, if God said something, we can just kind of watch him do it, right? He's God, he's going to do it. Actually, mysteriously, the Bible says, yes, God is sovereign and he calls and he speaks about things happening. But we don't go passive. We don't just go, oh, well, the Lord will do that. Actually, we are called to be those that, well, if you said you're going to do this, Lord, therefore our response is to respond. We actually get ourselves ready. We actually align ourselves with what you've said. And so in those moments where God pushed the, probe, the probing upon us, we're called to be those that speak boldly and do the other things I've mentioned, but also look to respond in a practical and specific way that is bold. I love the fact that we see here, he says, in effect, this isn't just your problem, it's, it's my problem as well. We're going to have to respond to this. If this famine is going to come, there are specific and practical things that we we need to do. He's actually very practical. It's amazing. He's like this prophet who hears from God and then he moves into kind of, you know, mighty strategist as well, all in one. And God calls us to have practical solutions that actually require us to get involved as well. And I love it. Look in verse 16. It says here, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So my last point about being honest is true. But the fact is is that God will often give people favorable answers. He does actually love this world. That's why he sent his son. And so there will be times when God gives you specific insights into things that are favorable, that are brilliant, that are great. He's actually saving the nation of Egypt from going to pot. He's saving them from dying from famine because he's kind, because he's merciful. So be open to the fact that often God will use you to bring solutions into, into situations that are not deserved, but are God's wonderful, glorious blessing. This is an encouragement that as Christians, often we can be those that bring the blessing of heaven. Many of you would have uh, been here a few weeks ago when a lady in our church, Joan, prophesied that with the closing of Pfizer, which is 5,000 people ultimately are connected with Pfizer and will probably lose their jobs, that in that devastating situation, that God will raise up Christians who will be given Holy Spirit-inspired plans and strategies and creativity so that out of the ashes will rise new businesses and new ways of coping with things. And I think she's right. I think that's what we see with Joseph. He's already gone, Pharaoh's already gone to the Magi's, which are like the really clever guys. So it's not about intelligence alone. It involves intelligence, but it's actually about realising that you and I, listen to this as Christians, have a hotline to God. You can actually have the thoughts of God. I'm sitting in meetings now with council people who are literally discussing what do we do about Pfizer. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm a pastor, I ain't got no clue. And I felt God's mild rebuke saying, don't you dare rule yourself out. God might give me some insight into it. I don't know. But God calls us in those moments of probing to be open to the Spirit's coming and to realize that there is a response that we make. When, when God seems to open a door with this building and we go to the ground lease, guys, as we did two weeks ago, okay? And we say, can you give us an extension to the ground lease? It's a practical response to what God's saying. We step out and they go, within seven days, seven to ten days, we'll get back to you. 
10 days comes and goes. And they ring the offices this week and say, do you know what? We are still discussing it. We just simply, we've got, we've got to have more time. Can you give us another week? And I'm thinking, is that good news or is that bad news? I don't know. Who does know? God knows. But this is the point. What do we do? Do we just go, God is sovereign? God is sovereign. He will do it. No, no, we say, Lord, we pray. The major response that Christians make, and don't miss this because it sounds so basic, is we pray. We pray, we pray, we pray. Lord, when you are allowing us to be put through those probing times, Lord, let us be a people who pray so that the responses, the specific keys that you give us to unlock this city, to unlock this community, to unlock the problems of this, of this nation, in fact, Lord, that is bathed in prayer. That is our primary response. And it was something that I believe was in the heart of Joseph. So he then finally, though, we see here in verse 37, suddenly, finally, promotion comes. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as your command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. We see finally, Joseph, after 13 years, he is propelled into this place of promotion. And I want to say this, is that for many of you here, God is going to bring you, or already has in some sense, brought you into that place where you know it's God's placing. And it's a place, I want to say, of mighty privilege. Some of you in universities are lecturers, and some of you in social services and in different situations, and in the council, I could go on. God has positioned you there. And as great as you are, it's God's doing. God's placed you there and it's a privilege. Say privilege. It's a privilege. It's such a privilege. God loves to roll out the privilege of his promotion. We don't deserve it, but, but God does it. This young man, age 30 now, would have been rich beyond his wildest dreams. He would have been influential beyond his wildest dreams. But notice here what the scripture tells us is the reasons why Pharaoh loved him. Verse 38, it says, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? As Christians, you can sometimes think the Holy Spirit is just my private kind of thing, you know, that God in me and he helps me. You know, people who are outside of the church community can sense something. They can sense something. They might not know what earth it is about you, but actually, they can sense something, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's the most precious thing. He's the most beautiful person, the person of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. The person of the Spirit, but we also see he describes him as wise and discerning. And God, it's not just that he anoints us, but he gives us tangible and observable traits and characteristics that other people will notice. There's things that they can't see, either the presence of the Spirit, but there's things that they can see, their integrity, the, the way that you deal with, the, with those different people, the skill that you have in people managing. It's something that's amazing, and I want to invest in you. This is actually what God loves to do and is doing and will continue to do with us, not just individually, but even us as a church. It's, it is genuinely, guys, a season of promotion for us together as a church family. The amount of the amount of things in the last few months that have just come about 
because God has sovereignly started to raise the profile of the church, to raise us up and to give us favour in so many ways. I've said, mention the council many different times. And even this whole thing of the building, the prophecy that came on the first night was it was like when you turned 21 in the olden days, you were given a key to your house. And it was a big moment. And it was a sign of a privilege. And actually God was giving us this building and it was like a privilege. And it came with a responsibility. It came with a sense of this isn't a small game. This is a big deal. You know, this is a place that for, for decades will be a place in the heart of the community. There's that privilege that we must feel. God's doing it. He's actually doing it in a way that we can't control. It's just hilarious. On, on Christmas Day, I got a text from Ewan, who leads the homeless shelter, just to say, I've just spent hours um, infusing to the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's our patron, about you as a church. And guess what? I've just given him your mobile number. So he's going to be ringing you imminently. And you just think, oh my goodness, that's terrifying. You know, what, what, you, can't, what do you do with that? I don't know. It's just almost funny. Um, but you just think God is raising the profile. He's bringing that level of promotion and notoriety in a good sense. You know, more than ever, newspapers wanting to write about the church. And this is the thing, guys. It will happen for some of you here that you will be raised up by God. So actually, you will be earning lots of money, like Joseph was. You'll be in a position of real influence and real power. And actually, we have to understand that it's a mighty privilege from God. It's a mighty privilege. But God can do this because it's actually... A small picture of what he's already done. When you become a Christian, do you know what? You go from being a slave in a dungeon to being someone who can come before the king. The picture that we see here of someone being wrenched out of darkness and brought before the king of kings, being robed in righteousness, being given a signet ring which, which signifies authority. It's a picture of what happens when you become a Christian. And the reason that Joseph was enabled to experience this earthly blessing was because he was already experiencing every spiritual blessing, as Ephesians 1 tells us. That as Christians, when these things happen, we have to have our roots deeply found, not in our newfound notoriety or influence or whatever it is, but actually in the fact that, do you know what? There has been a spiritual promotion that's occurred. Whatever it was for you, that is 10 trillion times greater than any momentary thing that God may want us to walk into. And that, I believe, was in the heart of Joseph. And that was why he could handle it. Because as well as a privilege, there's peril. There is peril with every promotion. As I said at the start, in some cases, it's the biggest test that you can face. Will we stay faithful to the God who has raised us up? Will we stay faithful? It's so often the case that when times are tough, we cry out to God. So many of the Psalms are, in my distress, I cry out to God. They don't say often, when everything was great, I cried out to God. Because there's something in the human heart that forgets God so often. And as the, the Lord brings us as a people, and you individually, more and more into those positions, the cry of God's heart is that Joseph dependence on God. Don't forget our king. Don't forget the one that ultimately has dressed us in garments of salvation. You may have momentary earthly nice garments or whatever it is, but ultimately God is the one who has raised us up. This is what it is to be a Christian. And it's so important that this is the heart of us as we move more and more into this season of promotion. I would even want to humbly say, I'm not even sure that Joseph even particularly wanted this. I think that the thing is, when you have year after year where you're just getting closer to God, the things that were so shiny and so attractive, they just grow strangely dim. 
And the thing that was this big, almost like an idol, the thing that you had to have, oh, I've just got to be an influence, you kind of realize, actually, to be honest with you, it's going to be a bit of a, bit of a pain anyway, because people will always disagree with what I said and whatever. Whatever that thing might be, when it's, whilst it's still the thing you're living for other than God, God will hold back that promotion. But when it comes to the point where actually you don't care anymore, you think, Lord, you're enough. You're enough. Then God says, now you're ready. And I think that's what was happening in the heart of Joseph. And it may be for you, there's that thing in your life. And the Lord's just letting you walk through it until it stops being an idol and comes down into its proper place. And he is the true God. And you go, do you know what? In those moments, you see it accurately and you go, Lord, Lord, you're everything I want. And then suddenly, it's like, there you go, you're ready. I remember for years, idolizing, to some degree, church leadership. Years ago, thinking, oh yeah, well, that'd be amazing, amazing. And then I remember seeing a church leader and, and realizing the amount of criticism he gets and the difficulties and the trials and the exhaustion and thinking, hmm, actually, I'm not so sure anymore. And at that exact moment, God said, right, I'd like you to be an elder, please. And I was like, oh no. And actually, it's been a joy, I hasten to add. It's been absolutely joy. I love it. It's the best job. But, but what I'm saying is God does that. He does that. And you might say, well, Tom, that sounds scary. Do you know what? I don't know if I want that responsibility. Many of you here don't like responsibility. Many of you say, you know, that whole thing of being like, you know, I've got to be a bit like Joseph and take responsibility. I don't want that. You know, and Joseph probably thought, as I said, he probably didn't want it. I just want to go home and be with my brothers back at home. But you know what? He realized he had to take it. He had to take it because there was a famine coming. There was a famine about to happen. Do you understand that? He thought, I probably don't want this huge responsibility. But actually, do you know what? There's a famine coming. God's just showed it to us. And that means this is more than my own comfort. This is more than my own preference. I've got to be obedient to God. And do you know who that's like? It's like Jesus. Jesus could have looked at planet Earth and thought, my goodness, look what they've got themselves into. They can sort themselves out. But he came as the true and better Joseph. And he said, I'm actually going to come and I'm going to make your problem my problem. Joseph responded with loving kindness to a nation that had treated him horrifically and said, I, he could have thought, great, they're going to get a famine. I'll leave that bit out of the prophecy. But no, no he says, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to return your, your mistreatment of me with love. And we see him, he takes responsibility. And friends, I want to say this, is there is a famine in this nation. Oh my goodness, there is a famine. If we don't think there's a famine, we are deluded. I mean, literally, do you know more and more churches are providing food parcels for people more and more now? Because people are literally running out of money. But more than that, there's a famine of truth. There's a famine of integrity. There's a famine of trust. There's a famine of knowing what a family looks like. There's a famine of all the things that God holds dear. There's a famine out there and it's going to get worse and worse. And so I want to say this. As we start to look to the future for us, we have to realize just as Joseph said, Lord, you've given me a key part in seeing this solved. We can't run away from the responsibility. The problems of this city are our problems. Amen? The problems of this city are our problems. We can't abdicate it. And I don't think you want to. I know in your heart, you go, no, I want my life to count. I want my life to count. I personally am in this city until the day I die, unless God very clearly calls me elsewhere. I'm here. I'm not treating it lightly with my neighbours and my friends and my work colleagues. They are there and I might be the only person who knows Jesus to be them. Don't leave this city lightly. God may call you on and God bless you if you do, but recognize that God has placed you for such a time as this, that your role is vital. You are intricately involved in his perfect purposes in this city. 
And as there is a famine coming, God calls his church to arise. He calls us to be a mighty Joseph that represents our Jesus, the true and better Joseph. That we say, Lord, we're ready. We're ready. We don't have the solutions all yet, but we know as you led Joseph, so you will leave us. You will lead us onwards into the future. Shall we stand? I think jo- uh, not Joseph, Ollie rather, <laughs> is going to maybe lead us in a song of response. And we've got, um, we've got bread and wine. So uh, if you're a Christian here today, this is a wonderful way to celebrate the closeness of our God who gave everything so that you could know that promotion. You might be here and you say, I, I don't think I am a Christian. And I just want to say to you that the Bible tells us that outside of Christ, that we are effectively in a dungeon and we need to be brought out. We need to be rescued. And if you want to come today and say, I want to know that rescue, I want to encourage you to come and talk to me or to Roger or to one of our prayer team who'll be wearing red t-shirts and over on my right, your left. Come today and know the real king. Pharaoh was king momentarily, but as Christians, we know a king who is just so much more wonderful. Lord, we just say, Father, we want to run into your presence. I pray, Lord, as we eat the bread, as we drink the wine, Lord, I pray that in a spiritual dimension, you will draw closer to us. Even as we come to an end today, Lord, I pray, Lord, pour out your spirit, pour out your grace. Lord, let us know your mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name.